It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you on this terrific Tuesday afternoon and you can always give us a call at 251-694-1055 or you can connect with us in the app because we always love to hear from you as well. And Michael Hope all as well, man. I tell you, you're not in the transfer portal, but one Notre Dame quarterback is. Yeah, yeah, I'm not in the transfer portal, but I mean, we speculated on it yesterday. We we talked to Luke Robinson last week about it and and uh it seems like it's not tyler van dyke is the the name coming to mind it's notre dame quarterback tyler buckner it should could be visiting alabama as soon as tonight well i i think that that's an interesting situation because to me tyler buckner again from notre dame playing half of the season not even a half a season the last last part of the season for the fighting irish Last year, he was the Gator Bowl most valuable player with the 45-38 win over South Carolina. And he's has three years of eligibility remaining. But to me, when you start looking at quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide, I think what you're looking for is already on campus. I don't think that the quarterback is in the transfer portal. I don't think Tyler Buckner comes and takes anyone's position as far as from a starting quarterback position. I think that this is just as a courtesy to the former offensive coordinator for Notre Dame and the current University of Alabama coordinator. Well, I could see this a couple of different ways. I could see them wanting to bring in Tyler Buckner potentially as a backup in, in the very likely scenario that one of Jalen Miller or Ty Simpson wins the job and the other transfers and you, you want a backup who's not a true freshman at that point, a backup who's capable of running Tommy Reese's offense, which I guess in that case would be Tyler Buckner. So I, I, I get that. Uh, I, I would hope that you wouldn't be bringing in Tyler Buckner to be your starter. Uh, but yeah, if, if you, you bring him in, you bring him in, what, whatever. Um, I really don't think he is better than anything that's currently on Alabama's roster. But if Tommy Reese ultimately thinks he's able to run the offense more effectively than anything on the roster, honestly, that says more about the current quarterbacks on Alabama's roster than it does about Tyler Buckner. Well, I think you're in a situation to where, again, you know, everybody loves depth. And you do have to have depth because you never know when your number is going to be called. But for Alabama to sit and think, that, okay, you know, we're willing to give a fifth quarterback an opportunity. Because when you bring someone in out of that portal, someone has to go. And I think that's the biggest thing that you're looking at. So 
what are you going to – I mean, who's going to leave from a quarterback situation? Do you want to have a, a five-man quarterback race entering the – spring slash summer slash getting ready to start the fall. I don't think that that's what you want because yesterday we talked about the difference between being a game manager and absolutely being that guy. And I think that, you know, because of his injuries for Notre Dame, Tyler Buckner, even though he was recruited by Alabama coming out of high school, chose to play for the Fighting Irish. You look at his numbers last year, only attempted 83 passes, three touchdowns, five interceptions. And you just have to kind of, in that situation, judge the tape for you. And if you want to look and pop in the tape of the Gator Bowl and see what type of potential that he has, then that's great. But to me, when you start looking at what's currently on Alabama's roster from a quarterback position, I just, I don't see it, Michael. I just think that, Ty Simpson, we know the reason that he underperformed in the A-Day game. Not to make excuses, but when you have a UCL sprain on your throwing hand with your right hand, which is your throwing hand, you can't grip the football. Not to make any excuses, but it's hard to grip the football when you're having to have a UCL sprain, having to put a cast on it, out three to four weeks, not able to throw, and that cast happened early in the 8A game. And I think that that's going to be something that Nick Saban and the rest of the country are now going to say, okay, well, we see why the redshirt freshman didn't and was not as successful as we like. Now, does he control drop balls? Absolutely he does not. But you try to grip a football with a UCL sprain, and it's virtually impossible to be as accurate as you would be with the healthy throwing hand yeah if if you didn't know uh go check it out on twitter ty simpson had hit his thumb on the helmet of an offensive lineman and actually needs it dislocated actually needs to have surgery and is going to be out a few weeks uh should be back by fall camp and shouldn't miss any significant time but stayed in the game in a day and uh and and you know, it's I, I wouldn't say he was horrible. There there were some drops, but yeah, he certainly didn't perform the way I think a lot of Alabama fans would have liked him to and separated himself as the guy in the quarterback room and, and that just didn't happen. So like you said, it's not to make excuses, it is just a fact that yeah, he he, he had a dislocated thumb on his throwing hand. He couldn't grip the ball and impressively stayed in the game at A Day. Well, but without question. So I so if you if you want to bring in Tyler Buckner, go ahead and uh, go ahead and bring him in. I, if he wins the starting job, I, I'd say I'm pretty concerned at that point. Well, you know, 12 out of 26, 155 yards, and an interception during the scrimmage. So I think that if anything else, because you're not having any more active practices, you're not having any more live practices to where you're taking hits, I think this is an injury that Ty Simpson can have because what it does, it has a cast on it. It keeps him from throwing. But with the strength and conditioning program that Alabama has, it does allow them and allows him to continue to to rehab himself and to, to get stronger in other areas. But I think that at the end of the day, when you look at it happening on the first series of Alabama's 8A game, that that's huge in and of itself. I could see if it happened late in the third or the fourth quarter. 
I think then then you would you would say, okay, he wasn't productive up until that time. But to happen on the first series for the quarterback position, it, it's just it's hard to do. Yeah, it's pretty much downright impossible to to grip a football at that point. Like I said, it's pretty impressive the fact that he even stayed in the game. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think Nick Saban would just do Tommy Reese a, a solid and, and bring in Tyler Buckner for even for a visit if he wasn't legitimately interested in bringing him in. But in what capacity he's interested in in, in bringing him in remains to be seen. I, whether it's a backup role whether it's to compete for the starting job, I don't know. Uh, whether he ends up coming to Alabama remains to be seen. I mean, it's not worth uh, freaking out over just yet, but he probably is going to be visiting Alabama. He will have an opportunity to maybe commit if he wants to, but I, I would think he would more likely go somewhere that he's guaranteed to start, which certainly is not going to be the case at Alabama. Well, I mean, coming on a visit... That's great because, again, Notre Dame, that Power 5 program. But when you already are looking at Tyler Simpson or Ty Simpson along with Jalen Milrow, I, I'm, the quarterback is there what you want. Lonigan, he, he played a decent game as well. And he's a young fella that I think that I don't have a problem with him being third string. And I, I mean, you do have four solid quarterbacks. You don't have any that has just – raced out in front of one another. And I think that the way that Notre Dame, well, the injuries that Tyler Buckner had at Notre Dame kind of kept us from seeing what he was capable of to, to make there be a, a super-duper media storm in regards to, yes, bring him in. And Nick Saban's kind of mentioned the portal, hasn't mentioned by position as to what his needs or wants are. But if there's the best available in the portal, of course, Nick Saban's always going to grab it. Yeah, yeah best player available. But he's He kind of said it this week. He's always looking to improve the roster and, and see it doesn't matter what position you're at. It doesn't matter if you're a three-year starter. It doesn't matter if you're a freshman who just walked on campus. If he feels that there's a way to upgrade the team, he's going to do anything it takes to make the team better, whether that's upgrading the position of backup quarterback starting quarterback and really any like I said any position on the roster it doesn't matter he, he will upgrade it if the opportunity is there to do so uh so so we'll see uh we'll see what happens with with this uh Tyler Buckner thing I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know lose my head over it but it is a little bit concerning for sure well I mean Michael the, the thing is you know when you talk about concern I think that you as one of the, the biggest fans there, if you had to say after the A-Day game, what, what is your biggest concern at quarterback? Because obviously you, you, you do have two quarterbacks, one that has played and started in an SEC game, just mm. has to have better ball security. We know what he can do with his wheels. Yeah. And, of course, Ty Simpson just didn't have an opportunity – to get a lot of reps, to throw a lot of passes, to to play in that SEC type of environment. He was playing the super-duper mop-up role. So I don't think we had an opportunity to see him against SEC type of competition the way that we did Jalen Milrow, but we have had an opportunity to see Tyler Buckner play against a fellow SEC opponent in South Carolina and absolutely lit them up 
in the Gator Bowl. Now, that's the Gator Bowl. You have players who are are transferring. Or, he also threw three picks. In that game, and that's, that's something that I think is a concern as well. So just to be super-duper solid, what is your biggest concern from an Alabama quarterback situation going past this A-Day game? The fact that none of these guys have, have definitively separate the, separated themselves and, and s- taken the starting job and the fact that we're still asking here in April at the end of April who the starting quarterback is going to be, I, I would say is my biggest concern. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I'm leaning towards Ty Simpson at this point because – We've seen it with Jalen Milrow. It's been pretty unimpressive. And by all accounts, yes, it does sound like he's gotten better. But at the same time, I don't know if he's gotten worlds better, which is what he, which is what pretty much he needed to do based on what we saw. And if he had gotten worlds better, he probably would be pretty firmly ahead as the starter right now. So I, I, currently, if you were going to ask me who the starting quarterback should be I, or will be, I, I would guess Ty Simpson. I think I'm leaning a little bit towards Ty Simpson right now. But I, I would say the concern is that we still don't know. Not that Nick Saban wants to tip his hand necessarily, but just the fact that none of these guys have really taken the job is is a bit of a concern. But there's still a lot of time left. Plenty of time left. And I do believe ultimately when they do kick off against Middle Tennessee, I think that both quarterbacks will split times and in going into – Texas the second week you definitely not going to be able to split quarterbacks because at that point in time the old saying if you have two quarterbacks you have none Richie Riley the head coach at the University of South Alabama men's basketball team will join us next to talk about the Jaguars off season signings his new roster as well as talk a little NBA playoff action is it's been very exciting there as well we'll also give you an opportunity to call in and get tickets to South Alabama versus Troy Baseball this weekend. We'll give you a chance to win those Jag tickets when you hear the song, Look at Them Jaguars. Make sure you give us a call here at 251-694-1055. Richie Riley coming up next. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. Of course, you can interact with us on the app or give us a call here at 251-694-1055. And this coming weekend, we will have from Friday night's game versus Troy, South Alabama's baseball program. We'll give you a pair of tickets to that game. When you hear, look at them Jaguars sound, make sure you give us a call here at 251-694-1055. Again, the battle for the belt, one of the biggest robberies South Alabama does have. And joining us now is the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama, Richie Riley. Coach, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Hey, good afternoon, fellas. It's a pleasure to be on. Coach, I'll tell you, you know, we went through March Madness, and it, it just came and went, and that means when you gear up for April, it is definitely recruiting season and time to look at that portal and get guys in. I know you've had a very busy off season already having – 
three officially signed guys, incoming transfers. And I know that when you start looking at the roster for next year, these are three players that are definitely going to help your program and make it exciting again to continue to watch South Alabama basketball. Yeah, we love what we've done so far, um, adding on to adding the three transfers to our high school class, the three um, that we got in the fall, and then mixing in what we got coming back. Um, so I, I'm really excited about it. You know, the climate of recruiting is is changing every year with, with NIL. You know, the transfer portal is higher than it's ever been. Um, so it's you got to constantly adjust. And um, I, think I, I think our staff, I think we did a good job of, of really evaluating these three guys and how they can fit in. And I think all, all three have a huge impact on our team. Well, not only with the three additions being impacts to your team, Coach, when you start looking at overall and representing for the city, it, it, it's so very important when you're creating a roster to, to look in that portal. And when you see all those names, do, do you say, okay, well, we just want to find guys that will fit our system that really didn't have an opportunity to get their shine on at other programs? You're looking for shooters, defenders, or it just doesn't matter. Does it come down to looking at what you were losing versus what you wanted to gain? You know, we're, we're always looking for really good players, you know, really good people. Uh, that's that's the one constant they can't, we can't, that we can't miss on that. they got to be good people. Um, they got to be our kind of guys who want to be coached, who who want to be really good because we work at it here. And you got got to love it. You want got to want to be really good to play here and have fun playing here. Um, those are first and foremost. But we've had so much success in the portal. Um, our, uh, you know, I'm thankful my staff has done a good job. I think we do a good job evaluating. We've had more success when you look statistically than any program in Division One when it comes to the portal. I mean, our guys, we've had Power Five guys that wanted more playing time come here and have had, been successful. We've had other other mid, other mid, really good mid-majors, you know, come from those schools and been successful. Uh, you look at low major, we've had those guys. And then D2, we had a first-team all-league guy that was a D2 transfer this year. And um, all – all we've had four D two guys and have done really well here. So we 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 don't discriminate. We look everywhere and we have a success path for all levels. So hopefully that's made us attractive and will continue to make us attractive when it when it is time, you know, for some of those guys in the portal to make a decision. Coach, how has the transfer portal in general just changed your job specifically? I mean if just look at all these teams that might lose a bunch of talent from a high major to a mid-major level and are kind of just able to, And whereas in years past you might be relying on younger guys to come in and make an instant impact. Nowadays, it's it's kind of you can just go out and get three new guys in the portal. Yeah, we to be honest, we were ahead of the curve. Um, you know, since I've been a head coach, when I first got the job at Nickel State, um, we really benefited from the portal. That was back when you had to sit out. You know, now guys get the one-time transfer and don't have to sit out. So I feel like we're veterans at it. Um, we've been doing this for a while. Even as an assistant, I was known for that. Um, really being locked into that transfer market. You got to be good. You got to be good evaluating. None of us are batting a thousand. We're not going. We're not going to hit right every single time. But you got to be right a heck of a lot more times than you're wrong. And, and we've been able to do that. Uh, through evaluation, getting to know the kids, 
Um, I watch a ton of film. You know, I watch every single thing they've done in their career, wherever they've been at. I think that's important as a head coach. Um, so you get a good understanding of who they are and what they can do when they get here and then how you can help them get better. Um, and then we're really detailing their approach that way. But, yeah, the portal, um, it just – you got to be careful because everybody's doing it now. Used to not everybody <laughs> recruited the portal. But everybody – I mean, Stanford, uh, you know, my old boss, Jared Hass, who I worked for at UAB, um, is a, I think that's the first – they've had their first two transfers maybe in I don't know how long the last two years um, with their academic requirements and everything they got out there. So if Stanford's taking transfers now, um, then basically everybody in the country is. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a different landscape than we've ever had um, with, with the transfer portal and with the prevalency of NIL. Uh, so it's, it's very different. And I, I just turned 40, you know, so it's, it's way different than when I first started. I can't imagine how some of these veteran coaches feel um, looking back when they first started. Oh, it's definitely old school versus new school for sure, Coach. But one thing that has not changed is your ability to go out and sign high school athletes as well. And one of those spectacular athletes is right here from the state of Alabama and John Broom from Jacksonville High School. And, and he's a state champion, back-to-back state champion, phenomenal player, had an opportunity to cover him while he was winning the state championship. Smurf Millender from Texas along with Ethan Kaiser from Illinois. When you have freshmen that can come in and play immediately or have an opportunity to make their mark as a freshman, how valuable is that outside of worrying about what's in the portal? Yeah, I'm pumped about our three freshmen. I really am. Um, We recruit all three of those guys incredibly hard. Um, They were the priority. And not not at all times when you're coaching, you get get to see the success of signing the guys that you really wanted. But in our in our three high school guys, we definitely did that. You know, you look at you look at JB, you know, John Broom, um, back to back state champion, player of the year, um, and and an even better kid. You know, he's a phenomenal kid. His best basketball is ahead of him. I mean, he's six five, he can shoot it, he's skilled. Um, and when he's gonna add some muscle, starting to embrace the physicality, I think he could be really special. Um, Smurf Millinder, throwback point guard. Uh, from Houston, led the Under Armour circuit in assists. Um, just speed, toughness, IQ. Um, he's he's a type of point guard that you want. And then Ethan Kaiser just won a state championship in Illinois. Beat the storied nationally ranked Simeon or Derrick Rose, Jabari Parker, and all those guys came from. He beat them in a the state championship. Um, so he's a state champion, first team All State guy. Um, just all three of those guys winning kids that genuinely want to be here. They're excited about coming to South Alabama. And I think all three of them are going to be really good. I think every year I've been a head coach, a freshman has started at least a portion of the season. Um, so those guys, we've done a good job in that area too. I think a lot of people, I'm glad you asked that. I think a lot of people only focus on what our transfers do, but our freshmen have been really successful too. Well, Coach, you've been successful there at South Alabama. And I, I tell you, there, there's when you start looking at being successful in the NBA playoffs, there, there's a lot of shocking results going on. Last night, I know Jimmy Butler absolutely put on a spectacular performance, going for 56 out of the Heat's 119 points. 
I, I know you watch a lot of basketball, whether it be high school, college, or professional. Have you seen a more impressive performance than what Jimmy Butler did last night? Yeah, how special was he? It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I think he plays his best hoops playoff time. I think he. I don't know if he say. I don't know if he saves all his energy and juice till the playoffs. But <laughs> you know, you remember him in the bubble a few years ago when he took him to the finals. But man, was he unbelievable! That was as good a performance. Um, the the performances that stick out to me outside of you know you look at Jordan's back in the day, but more recent, you know, you had LeBron against the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals when he was with the Cavs when he went for, I think, 48, kind of put him on his back. Um, you got that one. I remember Iverson had 56 against the Raptors in a series against Vince and those guys. Those, like, a couple of those, like, really stick out. But I don't think it would be hard to find one better because just his percentage and efficiency last night, going against the Bucks, who a lot of people think is going to win the whole thing, yeah. um, to, be able, to be able to play like that was incredible. Uh, and it just shows that the NBA, people forget during the regular season because it's a little bit boring. They don't really care about the regular season. Yeah. There's 82 games, probably too many. But when it gets playoff time, it's if you love hoops, it's must-see TV. And, and last night was another great example of that. Without question. And, and, Coach, you know, you have to sometimes talk to your players about their temperament on the court, and you don't have a problem with a, a player having a, a particular swag. But why in the world would Dylan antagonize LeBron James and tell him he's old, and now all of a sudden you say, don't talk to me until you get 40. The man got 20 and 20, like Shaq said. Good math equals 40. 20 points, 20 rebounds <laughs> equals the 40. And then you refuse to talk to the media afterwards after you've already poked the bear. What, what kind of nonsense and craziness is that, Coach? Yeah, it's nonsense, man. I uh, I come from I come from more of the old school approach where where you don't want to you don't want to wake up you don't want to wake that bear up you want to keep him sleeping as long as you can and you know it, as you guys I've said before that's to me that's the goat I think LeBron's the goat I know everybody's a Jordan or Kobe or you know even Wilt there's a lot of people that would argue for different guys but I think I think he's the goat and at 38. He showed you why he is that twenty two and twenty and seven, and to go up three one, you know, in a seven two game. I know a lot of people favored him coming into the series. All that's fine, but um, I can remember two months ago when people were saying they weren't going to make the playoffs, and they took it to another level. And I, I think the Lakers are going to be right there. Yeah, I really do. I think you know, if as long as they can finish the Grizz off, which I think they will. And get AD going a little bit. You know, he hasn't been great this series, but the way Reeves and Russell and Hachimura, those guys are are really becoming those key role guys that, that LeBron needs. Because at 38, he can't do it like he used to do it. But he can pick and choose when he wants to you know, <laughs> right. do it. So they're allowing him to do that with the production they're having. I think Reeves had 23 last night. I think Russell's averaging 18 or 19 for the series. Um, so if they get AD going, I don't see a team that they can't beat in a seven-game series. Well, I, I'm going to get your predictions here, Coach, because it does look like the Milwaukee Bucks are about to go home. They're a number one seed about to be swept away by a number eight seed, which doesn't happen often in the NBA. 
if you had to kind of reclassify, do, do you still think Milwaukee can come out or who is now going to represent? Is Philadelphia going to represent the East and are the Lakers or the Suns going to represent the West? And what kind of NBA Finals matchup are you predicting, Coach? It's, it's really hard because there's a lot of parity. I, I do think that the Heat close the Bucks out, you know, first First off, I think they close them out. I think you give he Jimmy Butler's a closer. There's, a, yeah. there's probably ten great closers in the NBA right now, and he's he's one of those guys. So you give him that many practice at you to close you out. I don't know how many it's going to take. They may they may push him to seven, but I think he eventually gets them. Um, I do like the Sixers out of the East. I like the Celtics too, but I like the Sixers. I think I I like how they're playing. The, the sweep that they had, the Nets aren't you know the Nets aren't the '96 Bulls by no means, <laughs> right. but it's still an impressive sweep um, to be able to to be able to sweep those guys. So I like them, and it. The, I think Lakers are Suns. I I think Denver Denver's the one, but I just don't think they have enough. And the Warriors are the Warriors, so you can't ever count them out. But it doesn't have that feel. They're not quite as explosive as they've been in the past. Um, so I. I like the Lakers. I like LeBron and those guys. He's got those young guys playing, like I said, at a high level. So I'm going to go with the Lakers, Sixers, and then I'm going to go with the Lakers winning it in six. Okay. All right. I like that prediction, Coach. And what we'll do is we'll definitely check back with you to see when the finals start, to see if your prediction is right and to get your insight on what to watch for in the NBA Finals for sure. And want to wish you the best at South Alabama on the recruiting trail as you guys continue to get better and better and looking forward to next season as well, Coach. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon on the final drive. Sounds good, guys. I always enjoy it. Thank you. Richie Riley, head men's basketball coach at the University of South Alabama, giving us a little Lakers insight, feeling the Lakers can go ahead and take it in six. The final drive, Corey Labonte and Michael Bronner will be right back. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Look at them Jaguars. Look at them Jaguars. Love the way they play that game. Welcome back to the final drive. You know what that Jaguar song means. Give Michael Bronner a call. 251-694-1055 is how you can win a set of four to Friday's game versus Troy. Again, South Alabama baseball versus Troy this Friday. Giving away four tickets to this Friday's game versus South Alabama's biggest rival in Troy, and you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And yesterday on the show, a couple of things were breaking news-wise, and one of those, of course, being Aaron Rodgers, and the second one being Jaquan Walton getting in a little trouble in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. And, you know, you were going to wonder what was going to happen with Jaquan Walton. Was he going to be removed from the team? Was he going to stay on the team? Well, it didn't take Nate Oates long to move on that one. And Nate Oates said Alabama is no longer recruiting Jaquan Walton and he will not be a student athlete at the University of Alabama. 
And that was a comment he made yesterday afternoon. And again, when you know that you have a loaded pistol or a weapon in your vehicle, that's legal. Nothing illegal about that. But when you get caught with the marijuana on top of the firearm, I, I just think that Jaquan Walton definitely made a horrible and horrendous decision. Coach Richie Riley talked about just finding guys of good character. And I know that finding guys of good character are so very important on any roster. But when all eyes are on your program, and especially when you have the number one ranked program in the country, and you're coming off of a roster that has three departing assistant coaches, you're trying to replace six or seven guys that have either decided to declare themselves for the NBA or have hit the port of themselves. Jaquan Walton was going to be that guy that I think Nate Oates could have given and made a difference maker. But unfortunately, you know, he didn't have an opportunity to play at his third school, Michael. He, he doesn't play one game, not even truly enrolled and taken a class yet at the University of Alabama. And I think that's what makes it so tough for Alabama basketball fans, knowing that that's just a talent that's gone to waste. Yeah, so I guess he hadn't actually signed yet, so it's why NATO phrased it how he did, as in, you know, quote-unquote, Alabama isn't recruiting him anymore. Uh, he had already committed really many weeks ago, but, you know, it's news to me that he hadn't technically signed, so I guess technically wasn't on the roster. But, yes, effectively he was kicked off the team, a team that he was – whether you want to say he was technically on it or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, now he's going to find a new school or not play basketball anymore. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, you, you would probably think uh, if Alabama d wasn't in the situation they were in PR-wise this past season, you know, maybe they find a way to keep Jaquan Walton on the team. I don't know, which is an unfortunate reality, and, and you hate to phrase it that way, but that is reality. Uh, you've, you've seen guys keep their spots on the team for less and and i think alabama basketball is just in a spot at this point where it's not a situation they can afford uh and you know so it is what it is uh walton really good player so it's uh, it's unfortunate that this is that he's not going to be able to be a part of the team but at the same time with uh with that kind of lack of judgment uh you know, maybe maybe Alabama is going to be all right. Well, what it does, it, it opens up an opportunity for someone else. And, you know, whether that be that late high school player or definitely jumping into the portal, which a lot of coaches are, I just think it's unfortunate that Jaquan, being a Carver or Montgomery grad, having an opportunity to come back and, of course, had not been too far playing his junior college basketball after leaving Georgia at Shelton State and then coming back and going to Wichita State and, and really doing an outstanding job at Wichita State. I mean, started 27 of 28 games for Wichita State and averaged 14 points per game. So Nate Oates was getting a 6'7 wing who could step out yeah. and add depth. May not have been a starter, but sure was going to play at a tempo that Nate Oates would have probably had him he, averaging he would have, 14 He would have been more. a big part of this team, 100%. And, and I just, I hate that, you know, again, a lack of judgment 
uh, has cost Jaquan an opportunity to even enroll in a class. But if you're going to have situations or problems like that, you would rather them happen now yeah. in late April, early May than to have it during the season mm. and to be that another distraction because this one's one that's going to occur in the offseason. It gives you a chance to where, yes, it does affect your current roster because you had planned on Jaquan being a part of that or you wouldn't have recruited him or, or had an opportunity for him to be a part of your team. But like you said, with the way that Coach Oates went ahead and labeled it, Alabama is no longer recruiting Jaquan Walton because he had not officially enrolled to the University of Alabama. And while we're keeping it in the SEC, Michael, I don't know what your thoughts are about when you rush the field because it doesn't happen in Tuscaloosa, hmm. but we've definitely seen it happen pretty much at every other SEC institution. But I, I cannot ever recall seeing fans storm the field at Bryant-Denny Stadium. No, no, not that I can recall. And when you look at the, what, what the SEC wants to do in regards to having and putting or implementing losing future home games, to me, that, that's absurd when you start saying, well, we're going to take future home games away from teams that decide or want to storm the field. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to actually happen in that a team is going to lose home games as a result of storming the field. I think it's kind of just a scary headline that's out there, and maybe the SEC is hoping it'll get teams to stop storming the field. Absolutely. It's not going to happen. I mean, any anybody who beats Alabama, I don't care if it's home or away. They're going to storm the field. They're going to storm the field. And, I mean, I've seen fans try to be brazen enough at Brian Denny when they someone beats Alabama to, to try to jump over the barriers there. Or jump over the gated fence. Probably not the best of moves. But if you're LSU or you're Tennessee, you're happily donating that $250,000 to the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I, I've never... Obviously, you can see the side that it creates a little bit of a, of a dangerous situation. And, and you get that. And it is for players, coaches... Uh, fans even, you know, whatever. I mean, people get run over. Uh, it certainly just creates a situation of chaos, and uh, it's it's just a madhouse. But at the same time, it's also it's part of the game. <laughs> it's part of what makes college football and college sports special. Uh, I, I'm pro field storming, so it, it is what it is. I, I think, you know, there are ways to yeah, – there's not really a way to make it safer, I guess, but – I threatening to take away home games is not uh, not the solution there. No, I mean, I, I just think that when the presidents and the athletic directors are at the spring meetings in Destin next month, even if you bring that proposal to it, to the table, I think that it'll be laughed at by a lot of people. And I know we have a caller on the air now. Caller, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, Corey, I know this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I think they should take the home games away because that's the only thing that's going to cost the university enough money to stop that stuff because this is where I have a problem. Now, you, everybody wants to get all mad at Jermaine Burns and then in the NFL, Devontae Adams. But, hey, you get on the field where you're not supposed to be with professional athletes that are much bigger than you are. I mean, they, there's consequences. I'm not saying hit somebody or run somebody over. 
but I wouldn't get out of anybody's way. You were running me like that. Yeah, my question is, though, at what point in time do you hire enough security guard or personnel and keep fans from storming the field? Because you see all the police presence when you go to a South Alabama game or an Alabama game or an Auburn game outside of the stadium. Why not go ahead and hire additional police officers, not those that are in the orange jackets or the green jackets that are fake police officers, but you actually have enough officers there to prevent that from happening? I guarantee you, you let somebody lose one home game and it'll happen because the, the cost of the cops on inside for every two inches of that gate is going to be a lot less than losing a home game. You're absolutely right in regards to what it could cost financially to having a home game. And I think that's going to be a great discussion when Lee goes down to the, the spring game or the spring destined meetings next month to, to see what are the opinions about losing a home game from these coaches? Because we see the same thing, not only on a football field to where there's a hundred thousand people in the stadium, you see it on basketball floors as well time and time again. And to me, it's more dangerous on a basketball floor than it is on a football field, because at least on a football field, you have a hundred yards on a basketball floor, only 94 feet. And you sometimes have ten to twelve thousand storm in the court. I guess so. It depends on the situation there, but uh, yeah, to your to your point about more space, um, I I don't know. I mean, taking away home games is is crazy. But like uh, like the caller said, you know, it it probably would get rid of the issue. I I, I just don't see it as this massive massive issue i he brought up the Devonte adams thing which wasn't field storming by the way Devonte adams pushed a cameraman who was doing his job it, it was pretty absurd uh jermaine burton's a different situation but yeah i i don't know i i don't know what the solution is we have someone in the app said where are you going to get these officers from well i i tell you where you you see pay them there you go him, pay them that's exactly where you get it from it's not like any of these institutions or lacking payroll to where you cannot hire off-duty officers to protect those that are involved in watching the game. But once again, as soon as you choose to storm the field, it's fair game as far as what happens to you because we've seen those get stuck in the bushes at Jordan-Hare trying to storm the field. We've seen those be trampled. You've even seen some severe injuries, and I mean severe hospitalized injuries from concussions to paralysis in regards to fans being trampled. So, you know, to take a home game away, do you do that in football? What do you do in basketball? You don't see them storming the field in baseball. The final drive here with Corey Bounty and Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Don't forget to come out this Thursday for our WNSP draft party. And we want to thank Bailey's TV and Mattress for giving away the $1,200 grill along with the vault giving us a Bryce Young jersey. So make sure you come out to walk-ons on Airport Boulevard. Three to six, the final drive will be there. And then, of course, you'll have an opportunity to register to win that Traeger Grill 
along with the Bryce Young jersey. Look forward to seeing you this coming Thursday at Walk-Ons. And again, next hour, again, we'll have four sets of tickets to the Friday game versus Troy. And you can give us a call, 251-694-1055. Two sets, four total. Set of four. There you go. For Friday's game versus Troy, South Alabama will be playing for the battle of the baseball belt versus Troy. Give away one for Friday today, one for Saturday tomorrow. Absolutely. Still got them now. When you hear that, look at them Jaguars. Make sure you give us a call here, 251 694-1055. The final drive here on a terrific Tuesday. Coming right back for hour number two. Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And want to welcome into the final drive, Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. And one week ago in a one-on-one interview with Auburn's TJ Finley, Chris did a phenomenal job of getting some great intel and insight out of TJ Finley in regards to why he feels that he is not the starting quarterback at Auburn. And as well as a day later, you see TJ Finley on Instagram post himself on the cross with nails in his hands. And and that kind of kind of stirred the social media site, Chris. I know that your interview was one that stirred it, but TJ took it a step further the very next day. Yeah, I missed that. I don't think I follow him on Instagram. Maybe I need to now. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, like, our, our interview was just nothing but, you know, hey, catching up. How did spring go? You know, what's the future hold for you? He's, he's a he's a really uh, bright young kid, and, and I like him. I mean, he's a nice kid, and he did a root for and all this. So I was, I was surprised at all the, uh, you know, the, the negative and a lot of the vitriol that came out of the interview. But, um yeah, man. I mean, I still look at where where Auburn is in today. I I threw out a question, you know, with, with you know today we're starting to hear a lot of quarterbacks enter the portal, and um, you know I just wonder is there a guy out there that can be an upgrade for Auburn? And I think like we all are, you know, some people were trying to connect the dots with uh, was it Tyler Buckner, the the kid at Notre Dame enters the portal, and 
people throwing out there, well, the Bama quarterbacks didn't look great. So, you know, he played for Tommy Reese at Alabama. Could he go to Alabama or at Notre Dame? Could he go to Alabama? And, uh, you know, I had some people saying, well, what about Auburn? I mean, would he be an upgrade over what Auburn currently has? So it's just it's going to be fascinating here over these next uh, couple of weeks to see, you know, what names are, are, are in the portal. Or do other guys end up elsewhere? Is Auburn okay with what they have at quarterback? Because uh, we know Finley is, is going to graduate uh, in June, and he'll probably be on the way out then. Well, when you look at the number of SEC quarterbacks that could possibly be drafted, I think that it makes a lot of teams around the Southeastern Conference be the story, the quarterback be the story of not only the spring, but definitely going into the summer and to the fall. Who's going to be the number one? I know especially at Alabama in their A-Day game, we found out that Ty Simpson had a UCL sprain that's going to cause him on his throwing hand to have surgery and be in a cast for three to four weeks. But the SEC and the quarterback story across the whole SEC, do you think that's the biggest story in the offseason? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, there's been years where you've had a lot of good, really good, talented quarterbacks. And, and I think this is no different. Like, the SEC is bringing back a ton of starting quarterbacks. You know, when you talk about K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas, Will Rogers, Mississippi State, Jaden Daniels at LSU. I mean, it was really Alabama and Georgia as the big mark. Without any question marks they had with how good Carson Beck looked, looked throughout the spring. And, you know, I've been saying this the whole way. I think he's he's maybe not better than Stetson Bennett right now, but he's certainly more talented. And if he hits his stride and he's hitting his receivers, I think Carson Beck is going to be – he'll be the Heisman favorite, I think, when it's all said and done. So that's just something to keep an eye on there. But I think we're all kind of a little bit shocked that nobody came out of Alabama – really grabbing the bull by the horns and saying, oh, okay, it's clear cut. It's Jalen, Mil- uh, you know, Jaden Milrow or, uh, or Ty Simpson. But I, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was a little bit like, I had to go digging into the numbers, guys. I like went back and looked at the spring game two years ago. I was like, am, am I holding them to too high of a standard? And I went back and looked two years ago. Do you know Bryce Young in the 8A game two years ago? Threw for 338 yards and a touchdown, no turnovers. <laughs> like, uh, Bryce Young was really, really good. And he was heralded. He outplayed Braxton Barker and, uh, you know, all the other guys. And so, like, he's kind of clear message. I'm the guy, start me. And what we saw on Saturday from the Alabama quarterbacks, we just didn't see that. And so, I've been saying this, guys. I think the Alabama quarterback, like, we just have to lower our expectations a little bit because they were not bad on Saturday. They were actually pretty decent. Like, had both those guys played for Auburn or Vanderbilt, we would have come away where, hey, you feel pretty good about the quarterback spot. But the problem is it's the Alabama standard we have raised. Like, we expect Alabama's supposed to have stud quarterback play. And that's what we didn't see. And so I think we need to maybe temper our expectations. Can Alabama still win a championship this year? Yes. But if they're going to do it, they're going to do it with dominant defense, dominant run game, and good to great quarterback play as opposed to superior quarterback play. Chris, uh, by all accounts, it seems like the Tyler Buckner stuff has legs with Alabama. It seems like he is going to visit. Do you think it says more about what Nick Saban thinks about the current quarterback situation and that Buckner could come in and compete for the starting job or the fact that one of these guys is going to transfer as soon as it as soon as it becomes clear who the starter is going to be, and that Buckner would be an adequate backup instead of one of the two true fresh, two two true freshmen. Well, 
it covers a couple of fronts. One, he's already run the Tommy Reese offense, and you know they know each other really well, and so he could come in and, and, and play immediately and be that guy and take control of the offense. His numbers are not that sexy. If you go look at what, you know, what he did at Notre Dame, there were some touchdowns, there were some interceptions. None of that jumps out to you. But I will say, and it's no just, you know, I'm not trying to cut down on Notre Dame, but he would have the most talent he's, he's worked with ever, right? I mean, he'd have, you know, four or five-star receivers all over the roster at Alabama. He'd have better running backs, better offensive line. So he may take his game to the next level and perform really well. Uh, if anything, what I think it does is it, it scares the hell out of Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson and the rest of those guys. You know, it's a message from Nick Saban. Hey, nobody's job is safe here. So y'all better, you know, get your butts in order. Stop turning the ball over and, you know, somebody come win this job. And so, if anything, that's what it would do. But I would find it hard to believe if Buckner were to transfer to Alabama, you know, that he wouldn't earn the job or win the job. Um, I would think if he's coming there, he's coming there to start. So we'll see. But I think that's just, those are conversations to be had between Nick Saban and, and Tommy Reese. And, figure out who is most suited and best, you know, ready to, to run this offense. And, again, like I said, on Saturday, I think we saw good quarterback play, just not great. And Alabama, they want great play. And they just don't have that right now. I, I understand that Buckner has familiarity with Tommy Reese, but it's not like he had great he wasn't even. You couldn't even really describe him as good at Notre Dame. So, and yes, there's something to be said about yeah, he comes that he could come to Alabama and elevate his level of play around better talent. Sure, but at what point does the fact that he simply wasn't a very good quarterback under Tommy Reese outweigh the fact that he has familiarity with Tommy Reese's system? Yeah, I mean, I hear you, but you know, we've seen this before. I mean. I remember having these conversations uh, back in 2019 or, or 2018, rather, when there was a kid up at Ohio State who was coming to visit LSU. And I remember looking back at him and going, what's Joe Burrow <laughs> at Ohio State that LSU should buy into? And, you know, we know how that one turned out. Same thing with Will Levis. Why, why does this Penn State backup, he's going to come elevate Kentucky? Like, he's going to be working with worse talent at Kentucky than Penn State. And when I look at Will Levis. He's about to go top 10 in the draft. So, uh, I, I get it. But we can't judge just the past. Like, where is he right now? And where is Tommy Reese right now? I mean, again, they, these guys know each other really, really well. Uh, he may be already sending them Alabama's playbook. Saying, hey, man, get a, get a head start on this. Let's, let's get going. And, um, you know, we'll see. But, but, again, they wouldn't do this if they felt like they could get by with Simpson or Milrow. They, they want some – they didn't want somebody to come in and, and take this job and send a clear message, I'm your starter, let's go. And, uh, again, they're going to weigh all their options. We'll see if Buckner's that guy. Well, outside of when you start looking at the NFL draft coming this coming Thursday, the SEC, year after year after year, probably for the last 12 to 15 years, has had by far more draft picks than any other conference in the country. Do you expect that trend to change this year, or will it be more of the same? And on top of that, Bryce Young being another SEC product, having a number one overall draft pick. Yeah, it's going to be close because there are a lot of guys in that 20 to 35 range that, you know, could, like, you know I mean, like could go back into the first or could fall to early second. Like we could end up having, let's say, 
11 SEC guys get drafted in the first round, but then four of the first five picks in the second round are all uh, SEC guys. You know what I mean? So it, it just all depends on need. And, you know, Hendon Hooker right now, he fits in that category. Hendon Hooker is a, uh, a, a second-round quarterback that people have a first-round grade on. So, you know, he could sneak into the first round somewhere, and, uh, you know, certainly that would up the SEC's total. But, yeah, th- this just didn't feel like it was like a super-talented SEC group from a standpoint of there was no, like, big dominant receiver from the SEC that we're looking at going, oh, this guy can't miss, right? I mean, it's, you know, you got Jalen Hyatt, but he's kind of projected high second. Um, you know, there was no big guy coming out of Alabama this year that, that you know, big-time receiver. Uh, it sounds like Jameer Gibbs, he'll be in that category as well. Like, uh, I'm hearing some people saying he could sneak into the back end of the first after Bijan Robinson is gone for a team that needs a running back. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be the quarterbacks. So we know Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, and Bryce Young are all probably going to go top ten in this draft. We know Darnell Wright, the, the tackle from Tennessee, he's going to be a first-rounder. Uh, and, and we'll see from there. And Jalen Carter, I think, from Georgia is going to go somewhere in that top ten. And then, uh, you know, even Nolan Smith, the linebacker from Georgia, is going to go somewhere in the first. So you're going to have a lot of SEC guys, but it's just going to it's going to vary. It, it, like I said, it could be ten or fifteen. Uh, it just depends on what teams need and and you know who reaches for those guys like Hendon Hooker or Jalen Hyatt or Jameer Gibbs. If there's one steal in the draft that you think from a SEC standpoint that will either slip to a spot or get traded ahead of who, who do you think that may be as far as from all the SEC schools, which gives you a huge pool to choose from at looking at these mock drafts. Well, I, I think, I mean, Jalen Carter is the most fascinating because I think when he was healthy and on the field, you can make a case that he was the best player in the SEC this year. Like, when that guy was on and and playing well, nobody could block him. I mean, we saw in the SEC championship game when he he just wreaked havoc on LSU's offensive line, which was a pretty good offensive line. I mean, they'll have forever, you know, embedded that image of him holding up Gene Daniels on the sack where they blow the whistle, and he's like, yeah, hey, you know, look, I have my trophy in my hand. So, um to me, Jalen Carter is the most fascinating because he could go. We know the incident with, you know, the car crash and, you know, he drove away and all that stuff. And I know some teams said, oh, we're taking him off our board, you know, questionable uh, concerns. And then his pro day, he ends up out of shape and he's huffing and puffing. But Jalen Carter, to me, the talent alone, he could go fourth overall in this draft. He could go 24th overall. Like, that's the crazy uh, craziness of where, you know, this guy could fall. Uh, deep down draft boards, but to me, he is still one of the most talented players in this draft. Uh, I would, I would still, you know, if I had a top ten pick, I would absolutely look at my defensive line and say, is there anybody better than Jalen Carter on our current roster? Uh, if not, I would draft him. But, but he's fascinating. I feel like Nolan Smith is the is the safest pick, but just a sideline to sideline linebacker. You know, I brought up earlier to somebody. He's a lot like Nicobe Dean was last year to me. Like Nicobe Dean was the safest pick. I just, you know, he's going to be a really good linebacker in the NFL. I feel that way with Nolan Smith. So somebody's going to get a stud in him. And then again, to me, I just feel like Bryce Young is is the he's he's the total package. I know the height concerns, but that's the only concern with Bryce Young. He's got everything you you want from smarts to safe quarterback play. Always going to find the open man, anticipatory throws. 
He's in the film room. Saban talked about you know, a lot of times he was in the film room before the coaches were. Like, I just think Bryce Young is going to be the star of this draft. And if you're talking, like, five years from now, if we look back and say Bryce Young is a bust, I would be shocked. I agree with you as far as that is concerned. And, I, you know, I look forward to, to getting with you next week to see exactly where the numbers fall from a Southeastern Conference standpoint and to see if the SEC can go ahead and continue to make history and hold tight as the strongest and the best conference in the country in regards to to football. And I tell you, Chris, for everyone who wants to lock into your coverage, how can everyone follow you? Yeah, just search Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. We had a great show on Monday uh, recapping what we saw from the, the Alabama quarterbacks. Uh, and tomorrow's episode, where it's going to be a really good one. We got our buddy Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South on and talking about this new stupid rule that the SEC is, is trying to come up with, with uh, making the suspensions harsher for schools that rush the field after a win. So much so that they're going to take home games away. Like, what are we doing? Is this the re- is this really the biggest problem in the SEC? So we got that all up on uh, locked in, locked on SEC tomorrow. Chris, I'm throwing you a curveball. I got to ask you one last thing. Uh, the, Will Levis odds have shifted dramatically for him to be the number one overall pick. I, any any belief in that, or maybe number two? No, it's all a smokescreen. But I'll tell you this: if if the Carolina Panthers get that stupid and they take Will Levis number one overall. <laughs> The Houston Texans will trip over themselves yes, to get will. to the podium to hand in the Bryce Young card. So, no, it's it's Bryce Young. He's going to be number one on Thursday night. I think Levis still goes top ten, but he is not going number one. Chris, want to thank you for joining us here on the final drive, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, thanks, guys. Chris Gordy, locked on SEC, joining us this afternoon here on the final drive, and don't forget giving away tickets for the South Alabama versus Troy baseball game Friday and Saturday. And you'll be able to give us a call here to win those tickets. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. When you hear, look at them Jaguars, make sure you give us a call and you'll have those tickets and you'll be ready to see nine innings of South Alabama baseball versus Troy in a battle for the baseball belt. The final drive coming back. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. Look at them Jaguars. Look at them Jaguars. Love the way they play that game. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us to win those tickets to see South Alabama play Troy this Friday and Saturday. The battle for the baseball belt will be taking place at Stanky Field. And again, South Alabama trying to get things in gear. So give us a call, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us to win those tickets. And, you know, when you start looking at high school athletes having an opportunity to decide where they want to to go, whether it's in a district or transfer out, IMG Academy 
has always been one of those places that athletes across the country and really internationally as well come in to, to attend IMG Academy. IMG Academy sold for $1.25 billion to an Endeavor Group Holdings. It's a sports and media conglomerate. Cost $89,000 annually for a room and board at IMG Academy. And, of course, IMG Academy will be playing the Thompson Warriors in football this season. So I think that when you start looking at the value IMG Academy selling for $1.25 billion, that lets you know that Thompson is definitely going to have their hands full <laughs> with the ninth grade quarterback when they play one another here in August. But that that's that's pretty uh pretty impressive. And you're able to get athletes from all across the country. And I know here locally we've lost athletes. I know there was an athlete in Montgomery who played football. He left and went to IMG Academy. So IMG Academy finds a way to get it done. I know Bo Scarborough, I think, he went to IMG Academy as well. And Alabama's had success picking. Yeah, they recruit from there every year. Absolutely, because you have the best of the best, but selling for $1.25 billion. And we, we were talking about the draft order and what the quarterback means. We'll get to that after the break. But before we go to the break, again, we mentioned with Coach Richie Riley about Jimmy Butler going for 56 points for the Miami Heat last night. And Charles Barkley never at a loss for words. And he's going to say what he means and means what he says. Charles Barkley chimed in on Jimmy Butler's performance last night. Uh, the best performance I ever seen in the playoffs was tonight. LeBron scored 29 out of 30 at Detroit. We were actually at that game, including 25 straight. 25 straight and 29 out of 30. That was the best game I've seen in playoff personally until tonight. That was the best performance I've seen since I've been on television. Uh, I mean, it was flat out incredible. It was an honor and privilege to watch it. But man, that guy was not going to let them lose tonight. Skill and win. Charles said it all. I mean, when you have somebody, Jimmy Butler, one of the most impressive performances Charles Barkley has seen since he's been working at TNT. And that's a lot of NBA basketball, regular season, postseason combined. And High praise for Charles Barkley. And then you look right after that game, you had LeBron James. Coach Riley, Richie Riley calls him the GOAT. A lot of people think that LeBron James is the GOAT. Well, when you have a 2020 game, the first of your career, 20 points and 20 rebounds, you can't really argue with that. And sometimes LeBron James fascinates and amazes himself. LeBron, do you ever amaze or surprise yourself? Yep. <laughs> uh, when? Did, um, that, did that happen tonight? Uh, I, when my teammates told me I had 20 and 20, I had no idea that I had 20 and 20. And uh, it's the first time I've done it in my career. I've done a, some pretty good, cool things in my career. I've, 
never had 20 to 20 before, so that was pretty cool, I guess. Now, when you start talking about LeBron James saying the first time in his career, that's 20 years of basketball that's in LeBron James, and for him to say, yep, he's amazed at himself, he's not the only one because a lot of people, again, call LeBron James the GOAT, greatest of all time in basketball. Of course, he had the the privilege of becoming NBA's all-time leading scorer this season. But the Lakers over the Grizzlies in overtime lead the series three games to one. So that's that's pretty impressive in and of itself. Tonight, of course, Clippers and the Suns. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George out. Clippers don't have a chance. The Suns go ahead and tuck them in and get get rid of Los Angeles, the Clippers. Hawks and Celtics, Nick Wiggins' team fighting to stay alive, but they're cooked. I think the the birds will will go ahead and be nesting for the rest of the summer for sure. And T Wolves and Nuggets, I was just surprised Minnesota was able to to find a way to win a game, three games to one in that series. The Nuggets trying to close out the T Wolves and some breaking news: the Aaron Fox going to be playing tomorrow Big. for Sacramento, giving them an opportunity in life. Of course, he fractured his finger, and he'll have an opportunity to continue to play as well. So, you know, when you are an elite athlete and you shock yourself, I think that's pretty impressive. LeBron saying he wasn't aware of the 2020 performance that he had, but bottom line, I, I just Did think you watch that last night he was. I'm. He's just. He's LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think he's the goat. He's not my personal goat, but. And again, Michael Jordan is my personal goat, but I, I I'm not I can't take away from the excitement that LeBron James brings to the game and the eyeballs that he puts on people. It's fascinating watching him in you know 2023 at this point. He he certainly and Richie said it earlier. He he isn't that guy anymore that's gonna carry the load on offense and it doesn't need to be. He's become so much different of a player at this point and, and turns it on when he needs to and right at the end of overtime or right at the end of regulation uh he tied the game with the with a high off the glass little vintage lebron play and then and then just blows by dylan brooks at the end of overtime for an end one that ended up sealing the game uh, it, it, it was spectacular did you see uh it didn't it didn't count but the the memphis had 0.8 on the clock and Jaw kind of put up a buzzer beater right at the end of regulation. AD stuffed it, and it bounced into LeBron's hands. He he made like a full-court shot. It, it was like a full second after the buzzer rang, but he did make a full-court shot, and he had Staples Center for a second. Losing Buzzing, their minds right. thinking LeBron just made a full-court buzzer beater to win the game, but there was only .8 on it. It wasn't even close, but you know, certainly an exciting thing. Nonetheless, he did make a full-court shot that was almost a buzzer beater, just about a second off well postseason basketball is always fun to watch and again we'll have three games to keep an eye on tonight and of course when we come back from the break we'll be talking about the quarterback position and how you're judged the wonderlick scores or the s2 cognitive test have been put into play and have leaked out some of the scores and some of the scores are pretty interesting and you can say what you want to about them when you get out there and you have 280 to 300 pound defensive linemen chasing you, 
You don't have to be too bright to run for your life or to throw the ball away. We'll talk about those cognitive scores next. And who will be eating steak and beans? That's one of the interesting traditions. Beanie weenies for the losers of the Alabama A-Day game. That was always fun to see the players deal with that. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corley Bounty and Michael Brauner. We'll give you who won those baseball tickets on the other side of the break as well. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And, of course, part of the pre-draft process is when they give you cognition tests. They call it the S2 cognition test. Used to call it the Wonderlick score. And what the S2 cognition test basically does for the quarterbacks tracks multiple objects judges whether they can make complex decisions and filter through different defensive scenarios and what happens is on this test you had cj stroud score 18 percent out of 100 percent and of course bryce young scoring the highest at 98 percent and, and you just you go and look at what the Wonderlick test judges you on, math, vocabulary, and reasoning. Those test results weren't released, but the S2 cognition test was. And C.J. Stroud only scoring 18%. Do you think that had anything to do with his draft stock changing from being the overall number one pick to – possibly falling to two or three in this 2023 draft. Because, again, Bryce Young scores at 98%. And all of a sudden here within a month's time, you see the odds flip. I don't know if those test scores were given to the GMs. I'm quite sure they did have them. Before they came out to the media, you're saying? Absolutely. Before they came out to the media. Because they're saying that these scores were accidentally leaked. But when you have 18%, it's either you didn't give a damn about taking the test and you could care less and doesn't don't think it means anything. But again, when you look at general managers, again, th- there's no 300-pound lineman attacking you or rushing you or trying to put you in the hospital when you're taking these tests. If that's the case, I think all the guys probably score 80 to 90%. But the difference in it, it's pretty interesting to me when you look at Anthony Richards, 79%, Will Levis, 93%, Bryce Young, 98%, and then C.J. Stroud, 18%. You would think that would be a misprint, and that that's, what, that's what's pretty remarkable to me. You bring up an interesting point about whether it made the odds shift because the odds definitely started to shift well before the – results came out but like you said uh, the gms might have had those test results well before you know you and i the common man 
had the test results. So I, I really hadn't thought about that until you brought that up. Like, I don't think so. I, I, I At least not this dramatically. I think Bryce Young would have ended up being the number one pick regardless. But it certainly is interesting. And it certainly... I mean, I don't think these... These tests certainly aren't the be-all, end-all. Uh, I do think the S2, from what I've read about it, is a little bit... Like, it should be taken a bit more importantly than the Wonderlick. The Wonderlick is kind of whatever. It's uh, literally a, a math test. So, you know, it's what, whatever at that point. I think the S2, like you said, it's decision-making and stuff like that. Like, and it... Correct me if I'm wrong, it is at least like somewhat football-related. Yeah, It is. I mean, we're, we're talking about being able to, to recognize different defensive scenarios, <sighs> make complex decisions, and, I, I mean, <laughs> track multiple objects. Let's go ahead and overreact to this. I, I, I don't know. It's, I, it's a red flag. 18%. I mean, and Hendon Hooker scored what? Like a 46% on his? 46%, correct. I mean, is Hendon Hooker just a one-read product of the Josh Heupel offense? I, I don't know. It, it's concerning. Will Levis scored like a 92%, which I was absolutely shocked to read, frankly. I, I That was probably, honestly, in terms of everyone's results, even Stroud's 18%, the fact that Will Levis is apparently this decision-making genius is, is probably the most shocking thing there. Anthony Richardson did very well. Uh, I mean, he didn't do spectacular spectacularly but he did very well uh as compared to cj stroud at least i mean stroud 18 percent that is like devastatingly awful and again you don't want to use these tests as like the one indicator but i don't know like i'm concerned well I, I tell you brandon alley according to this cbs report he's co-founder of the s2 cognition test and he says some of the scores are not accurate but to me, how do you get a discrepancy of 98% versus 18%? 80% discrepancy. And, I, you know, that that's, that's where I, I struggle with it. Now, again, do I think that it has any effect on how you play the game? To me, no, because there's nothing like real-life situations. I think you can ask anybody who has participated – in anything that, that goes from a practice or a walkthrough to a live situation, it becomes night and day. Now, do you still have to make reads from a quarterback position? Yes. Do you want to make sure that you have great film study? Absolutely. And I yeah. think GMs do their homework in regards to when it comes to that, Brawner. But if you were to sit here and say that I'm going to draft a quarterback or I'm going to knock him off of – being the overall number one pick based on a cognitive test, the, the tape is, to me, the cognitive test because that's where real-life situations are occurring for these players, not behind a multiple-choice <laughs> test. And that's, that, I mean, a multiple-choice test to me does not dictate how good you're going to play the quarterback position or whether you should slide from one to seven or from 2 to 15. Well, for Bryce Young, I think that was probably the least surprising thing that he did so well because, I mean, the one thing that every coach who's coached Bryce Young raves about is his processing ability, his decision-making his decision -making ability, his football IQ, I, I think, is uh, probably the most underrated part about Bryce Young. Obviously, we've seen what he can do on the field. 
I've said it time and time again, if this kid was four or five inches taller, he'd be the best quarterback prospect of all time, on paper at least. Not saying he'd be the best quarterback of all time, but just in terms of draft prospect coming out like that Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck level guy, he would be right there. And he is going to be the number one overall pick, but I think a lot of people have doubts on him. And the only reason people have doubts is because of his size. If, if he was four or five inches taller, there wouldn't be a single question from anyone as to who the number one pick is going to be or should be. Uh, so the fact that he scored a 98 is not at all surprising to me. Uh, it, I am surprised at the fact that Stroud did that poorly. I mean, it is, uh, I saw someone making a joke on Twitter saying, like, I think you get an 18% just for writing your name on the test (laughs) it's very comparable to the act or the sat that a lot of people take but i just think that 18 percent you you just didn't want to even in a multiple choice test you didn't want you didn't want to try i I think it's not a red flag that, that that in and of itself michael because when you start talking about the wagering that is going on who is predicted odd wise to go overall number one. Bryce Young, for the longest, was not the overall projected number one pick. And I think that today, you start looking at Vegas in the betting action, and someone, there's a surge on bets on Will Levis. Yeah. And and oh he my. goes from 40 to one odds to four to one odds. And, and, and that's how quickly things get heated up from... It's the most, like, smokescreeny, lying week of the year. Like, I don't really buy it on Will Levis, but I don't know. I mean, I, I do think – I mean, there was talk of him slipping out of the first round. I, I do think he could go as high as the top ten. He, he's been probably the toughest guy to get a read on. I've been thinking about it a little bit. Will Levis drops to 14. I, I, I might want the Patriots to just – take a little chance on him why not uh, just 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 grab him well, why not see what see what happens what other needs do your patriots have uh, they, i mean they have they have tons of needs they need a corner they need a tackle they need they have they, they need a receiver they have tons of needs but ah uh, you know they all they are also in an afc that has probably you could say at this point 10 pretty dang good quarterbacks so uh, you know if if, if max if Belichick doesn't think Max that guy, which again, I think jury is still out at that point. He's never going to be the Josh Allen Mahomes Herbert level guy, no matter even in even if he reaches his ceiling of ceilings, he'll never be that. Uh, I do think he can be efficient enough to make this team a contender in the AFC in again, if he reaches his ceiling of ceilings, which is a big if. Uh, but, you know, I, Will Levis, if he were to reach his ceiling of ceilings, could be that. So I don't know, you know take a chance if you really like him but i honestly don't think he's gonna drop that far i I do think will levis is gonna end up going top 10 i know i flip-flopped on that a lot but that that's kind of my gut feeling as we sit here two days from the draft 93 percent he's a genius on on (laughs) his score as far as where he's concerned compared to anthony Richardson's 79 percent or hendon hooker's 46 percent on this s2 cognitive test and again the cognition test Tracking multiple objects, make complete this complex decisions, filter through different defensive scenarios. That's what this multiple choice test consists of. And that and the Wonderlick, both the Wonderlick, including math, vocabulary, and reasoning. And I, I again, if you're a true baller, then to yeah, me, the matter. film, no, 
It, it, it just speaks for itself. Some, some guys are test takers. Some guys are not. Some guys are gamers. Some guys are practice players. I think we've seen it all from a prediction standpoint. But I, I just say that, you know, a user in the app says without giving them any pre-notification or heads up, they should make Stroud take it again. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if he if he took it again. I, I just don't think he puts any value on it. But yeah. one of the things that I know that talking to former Senior Bowl players and athletes, that every single test and every single interview that is in front of you is an opportunity for you to make money. And you don't want to cost yourself money in that situation. I'll say it. I'll just... I'll just put it out there. Two days before the draft, I think I'm going to go this far. I'm out on CJ Stroud. I'm out. I'm just out, man. And, and if you want to save this clip, make me come back to it in a year or two and, and, and make me look like a dum-dum when he's a superstar, be my guest. Uh, you know, maybe find something better to do. But uh, <laughs> I'm out. I'm fully out on CJ Stroud. I think he's like the fifth best quarterback in this draft, if that. So that's my big declaration of the day. Well, CJ Stroud, I, I tell I'm you, out on him. See, it, it, well, is it because of the cognition test, Michael? It's, or? it's a factor. It, it's it, certainly it, it, a factor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say this, that, you know, all, all the test takers were not giving it at the same time. So I it's not like Bowl all Senior MVP Jake Hayner did really well, he, by the way. He did. He did. It, it, but it, it's not like all of them were in a room at one time sitting at a desk and they're going to give you out this test to take all the quarterbacks in the room. No. Uh, according to C.J. Stroud's people, he may have been given the test at 11 o'clock p.m. when he was tired and wasn't ready <laughs> okay. to take the test. So. You, you can spend that for what it's worth at the end of the day. And I did the final drive at 3 o'clock when I was tired and not ready to do the final drive. It, it's Give me a those, break. I just say that when you look at what a, a quarterback is capable of doing, just put in the tape. Put in the tape. If, he's if, got an arm. <laughs> he he's definitely has an arm, and I think he's definitely going to be the second quarterback taken. But I do I do say this again. The importance of every single meeting, and Jim Nagy has said this and stresses this, and every player who's come out of the senior bowl that has taken heed to it knows that every opportunity that you're in front of an NFL player personnel, you, you have to take all interviews seriously because that's where your money is. You have to take all tests seriously used. But the Wonderlick, again, being used in math, vocabulary, and reasoning was replaced by the S2 cognition test. And that's what they're calling it now. The S2 cognition test, not the Wonderlick, which tested math, vocabulary, and reasoning. But the cognition test does track multiple objects, make complex decisions, and filter through different defensive scenarios. Out on Stroud 2023. 18%. I'm out. My man didn't care. 18%. I'm he out. He didn't care. I, the fact that he didn't care is more of a red flag than the 18%, if that's what you're going with. I'm out on Stroud 2023. The final drive, putting the finishing touches on it before we have talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNFP.
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Coming up next, talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And again, Michael, I know we had a winner of those tickets for the South Alabama baseball game who called in. And tomorrow we'll be giving away those tickets as well. What was our caller's name who won those baseball tickets, Michael? Oh, my guy, Floyd. Thanks Floyd. For Floyd. Floyd got it done, and he'll be going to watch South Alabama this Friday, and we'll be giving away some more tomorrow as well. And, again, the, the story of the day, Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame in the transfer portal. Will he be joining his former offensive coordinator? Will it now be his current offensive coordinator? He's come to Tuscaloosa making an official visit and is that because of the lack of performance by Alabama's quarterbacks in the 8A game or in general? Or is it just because it's Tommy Reed's guy and Alabama already has four quality guys on the roster and steak and potatoes and beanie weenies for the losing team in Alabama's 8A game? And that's always a great tradition to sit and watch and Wonder how far that goes back. Well, that's Scott. If you ever, if you ever had to eat beans on, on uh, from a spring game, I, I, that is a, a great a tradition. Thing. It, it is a great tradition that you do love to see. And of course, tonight, if you love NBA action, Clippers, Suns, Hawks at Celtics, T Wolves at Nuggets, all those games being tonight, and Jimmy Butler going for fifty six last night. And of course, we talked about our Wonderlick scores that have been used in the past for quarterbacks. And now the S2 cognition test, you have a lot of people chiming in about that. And I personally think the tests are overrated and who cares? It's about that performance that you had. FYI, IMG Academy sold for $1.25 billion. IMG Academy. Yeah, that's the same IMG Academy that produces football and basketball, five and four-star athletes each and every year to a sports and media conglomerate company today. $1.25 billion for IMG Academy, who will be taking on Thompson in high school football this season. Want to thank Richie Riley and Chris Gordy for jumping on the final drive. Talking spring football coming up next with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. is talking spring football on the sports station 105.5 fm and wnsp.com stay tuned as we take you to the practice fields in auburn and tuscaloosa as players begin their campaigns to be on the field and not on the bench this fall brought to you by bayou fasteners and jordan automotive call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the wnsp app Welcome to Talking Spring Football. And as we're efforting to get in touch with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner getting ready to enter the building. Of course, when you're talking spring football, Alabama's A-Day game performance is what everyone was talking about in regards to especially the quarterback play. And Michael Bronner and I were talking about earlier in the final drive when you have a quarterback, Tyler Buckner, 
coming from Notre Dame in the transfer portal. And he was the Gator Bowl most valuable player versus South Carolina. What does that say about him coming to visit Alabama? Does it mean that he's going to sign with Alabama? Does it mean that Tommy Rees, who was his offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, is just doing him a solid? Because when you start looking at the overall performance of Alabama's quarterbacks, they were never stellar. And no one really took the bull by the horns in regards to what it meant to Alabama football going into the summertime and having that true leader. When you look at their first game in September, Ty Simpson on the first possession that he had the football went ahead with his throwing hand, hit his thumb against one of his teammates helmets caused him to have a UCL sprain and not quite sure if that caused his unproductive numbers or not in Alabama's A-Day game. But when you do have to have surgery and a cast required, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'll say that that's the reason that you were not productive as Alabama's quarterback. But it wasn't just the A-Day game as a whole. When you start looking at the numbers from the other scrimmages, Ty Simpson nor Jalen Milrow really stood out. And as earlier said by Chris Gordy, when you start looking at Bryce Young's 8-8 numbers in the past or Jalen Hurts or Tua Tungavailoa's numbers or Mac Jones's numbers in the past, 8-8 games, you knew coming out of that that Alabama definitely had their guy at quarterback. And this is a situation where Alabama does not have their quarterback and look forward to when we're able to get in touch with Scott Hunter to, to talk to him about his thoughts. Because again, Scott Hunter had a chance to see this Crimson Tide team in a close scrimmage to where, of course, probably a lot different looking than what you saw in an open A-Day scrimmage to where the entire country has eyeballs on you, all your opponents have eyeballs on you. And this was a situation to where in front of the public, neither one of these quarterbacks really stood out. And I think that that is the biggest question and concern as to why Tyler Buckner is even being considered to come in and possibly transfer in. Because on the flip side of that, when you look at the Auburn Tigers, Who's the best quarterback for the Auburn Tigers? We know it's definitely not T.J. Finley. He feels like he got slapped in the face, folks. A lot of people have said all the all the spring game, Auburn's starting quarterback is not on campus. I think Alabama's is. And if Auburn's is not, then that creates a dilemma for both of the programs. But I can't recall a time when you look across this state and Alabama and Auburn both, have question marks coming in as far as quarterbacks are concerned. And if you're looking as far as starting for Alabama, Jalen Milrow, he, he has the one up to me because he's actually started in an SEC game. And when you have started in an SEC game and you don't have ball security, that was the biggest question mark behind Jalen Milrow his ball security, and not being there. 
Now, does he have to improve on his pocket and his patience in the pocket and his reads and progressions? Absolutely he does. And I think that's something that a lot of people are going to be taking a look at and want to see. Now, in the A-Day game, there weren't any turnovers, which was key. But to me, in Alabama's A-Day game, you're going to continue to talk about during the offseason who is going to be the starting quarterback. And I do believe split time will be the situation for the Alabama Crimson Tide coming up for their first game when they do play Middle Tennessee. They're not going to split any time with that kid from Notre Dame. So you think he's going to come in and, and, and run the show, Trace? Just as show as Mobile Rubber runs into Mobile Bay. That's going to be an interesting dynamic. Now, now, let me ask you this. Even though Auburn didn't recruit him as a quarterback, do you think he could possibly fit into an Auburn situation? Because everyone has been and keeps saying Auburn's quarterback is in the transfer portal. Well, here it is, Tyler Buckner. He's in the transfer portal now. Oh, I think Auburn would definitely be interested in him. But, you know, when he entered the portal, he didn't. Uh, and the way he listed it, it makes it – it appears that he already knows where he's going because normally when they enter the portal, they have like schools of interest or something. He didn't list anybody. Normally the idea is when you don't list anybody, that means you already know where you're going. That's huge. And that's a critical factor. But But – When's the last time, Tracy, we're trying to recall that you've seen both Alabama and Auburn not know who the man's going to be at quarterback going into the summer and especially fall camp? Well, you know, Auburn hadn't had anybody very good for the last few years, <laughs> but the last time it was this totally unknown was when Nick Marshall didn't arrive until June and then started the first game September 1 or whatever. So, I mean, you're talking about a quite a lengthy process there. And I know Auburn concluded their 8A game a couple of weeks ago. And I think the biggest question was for Auburn, the offensive line. But you, you take that one day in which the public is allowed to see the games. And I just don't think you get a great gauge as far as Auburn is concerned because of the weather. You, they had no choice but to run the football. Yeah, and I think after the spring game at, at Auburn, I don't think the offensive line now is the concern it was for the fall of 2023. Uh, I think there's still some concern and they're still trying to strengthen it. In fact, they had uh, the other tackle from Tulsa, Coach Montgomery's other tackle out there, who had started a number of games, who has two years left. So he would be able to fill – an experienced backup role in 23 and then be there in 24 because pretty clear the other tackle they brought in, Dylan Wade, is there for one year and one year only. You know, he's got his eyes on the NFL. So, uh, and I had his name here. Let's see if I can see it because he visited this weekend. And uh, his name was uh, uh, – uh, Jalen Thomas. Okay. Right tackle from Tulsa, played with Coach Montgomery. So they had him in, and then they had another uh, Jack Rush in, whatever you want to call it, uh, from Cincinnati, Jaden Muskrat. Well, that's, how you, that's how you improve. I mean, it's going to start at that O-line position and from the rudge, edge rushing position for the Auburn Tigers. Still very thin. 
And, and you just have to create depth in the portal. And I, I think Scott Hunter has joined us. And, Scott, we were talking about the overall performance, the public performance of the 8A game. And the news of the day is Tyler Buckner coming in and taking in a visit from Notre Dame to Tuscaloosa. And not really a shocker when you think about it. Well, I uh, just got word this afternoon. I'm down in Orlando at you know, my Raymond James uh, National Conference. So I just got word this afternoon that the Notre Dame uh, quarterback, who's been beaten out apparently either last fall or this spring, was talking about uh, transferring or possibly transferring to Alabama in the portal. So that's all I know right now. I don't know much about him. But you got to think that since Tommy has come on board as offensive coordinator, he certainly knows all about him. And, you know, he must think, think well of him for him to get the, if you will, probably an under-table uh, invitation to consider transferring to Alabama. Well, I mean, d does that really, what does that say about the current situation for the four quarterbacks that had an opportunity to play in Alabama's A-Day game in front of the public on Saturday? Well, I, I personally uh, would not like that. I think uh, there's some there's some ability amongst those you know four quarterbacks to play uh, next this coming season. But then again, uh, I think what they're trying to guard against is okay. We got a chance to get a veteran guy who's been around for two or three years, and we better go ahead and see what will materialize there because we only get stuck, you know, a second game against Texas without a really an established quarterback. Well, I know he's coming off an right injury. Now, well, right, let me say this, uh, you know, I watched him carefully Saturday and as, as pertains to Milrose, um, you know, he's been there a spring, a fall and, a, and another spring. So, and he really didn't, I thought he would impress me, but he really didn't. Um, and I think, man, if you've been there spring, a fall, and a spring, and you're not really clicking, maybe maybe it's just not going to ever happen. So uh, that's the only thing I could say about my observation of him Saturday. Scott, was there a difference in what the public was able, the vanilla version that the public was able to see on this past Saturday than what you saw when you were having an opportunity to be up there for yourself in the closed scrimmage? No, every, everybody saw the same thing. I don't know what channel it was broadcast on, whether it's ESPN or SEC Network, but however, you know, everybody saw the same thing. I just happened to be sitting there in the stands seeing it, and, you know, I was hoping that Jalen Miro had, had kind of, okay, Kind of like Jalen Hurts and maybe had a moment where it all is all clicking, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking uh, for him. Uh, and, you know, Ty has some good plays. Holstein and the other quarterback has some good plays. But obviously, you know, they're all younger guys. And, you know, hey, but you know what? I was a young guy, too, when I went out there and threw a touchdown pass on my first pass second quarter against Virginia Tech and Legion Field and you know I was a starter from there on so it can happen and I think that's what a lot of people are counting on you know even though 
as a public, we, we wanted to see someone take the bull by the horns. We wanted somebody to come out as the bullpen leader. As we knew that this is probably who Nick Saban would want to go with come September 2nd. I think there's still a lot of learning to go on. A lot can happen in between the summertime workouts and when they start fall practice. Yeah. And I was talking to Tracy. I, I really do think there will be split time against Middle Tennessee in that first game between Alabama's two quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and you know, I agree with you. I, I don't think that there will be an established quarterback you know, against Middle Tennessee State. But, however, going into the Texas game, I, I think that you better have somebody out there that you're confident that can put points on the board because, uh, you know, Quinn Ewer and, and Texas are going to be able to do that. Bingo. So, no, uh, no doubt about that. Consideration. No doubt about that, Scott. No doubt about that. On the other side of this break, talking spring football, we'll dig in to Auburn's. We talked about their offensive line, that being a place of need. We know that probably their quarterback may be in the transfer portal, but we'll also talk about Hugh Freeze from a numbers standpoint in his contract earning those dollars and the incentives that are in there from a coaching perspective. Talking spring football, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner here on WNSP 105.5. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP Mobile, Alabama. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking Spring Football back here on WNSP 105.5. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner joining us here as we're wrapping up. On our last edition here of Talking Spring Football. And what we were talking about going into the break was the value of your head coach. And you can't put a number on Nick Saban. There can't be enough zeros behind what Nick Saban makes and what he's meant to the University of Alabama. And when you look at Hugh Freeze's contract when he comes into Auburn, six years, six and a half million dollars is what he's going to make with an opportunity to make upwards up to $10 million in the final year of his contract. If he makes the national championship, can make an additional $2 million. And Tracy and I were talking about that. You can add additional zeros behind that if he's able to win the national championship within a six-year span at Auburn. No, I mean, you can see exactly what's going on at the University of Alabama since Coach Saban has been there. The fundraising, uh, the the uh, donations, how they've increased. Uh, what do you what do you call that when you have dedicated Monday money for granting scholarships at the university level? Not talking about athletically, talking about scholastically. Uh, the school is endowments. now endowments. Uh, thank you. Uh, aren't they up 48,000 enrollment? Absolutely. They, I mean, that's, that's what winning can do. And they're recruiting both academically and athletically nationally. And all of that 
has a friend of mine, and I don't say exactly who, but he told his kids who've lived through this from the time they were five or six, he said, you have lived through a very magical period. You should, you know, treasure it because this kind of time doesn't, you know, you you weren't alive when it was fear the thumb kind <laughs> right, of thing, you right. know, so it goes and comes. But uh, he's been worth every penny Alabama paid him. Well, and he would be worth every penny to Auburn if he were to get the $2 million bonus you're talking about because he won a national championship at some point during six years. It would be worth over $2 million. When you start looking at one of these polls that was put out, Scott, Alabama had the largest or the fifth largest fan base in the country, and Auburn was going the opposite direction and had the fastest shrinking fan base in the nation and you attribute that of course to wins and losses and visibility as a whole and when you start talking about the visibility of Auburn football I think Hugh Freeze has done a phenomenal job in regards to putting that visibility back on Auburn and the Plains now what you have to do is in a couple of years equate that to playing for the SEC West championship it's just like sorry, the movie I'm doing a radio field of dreams show back in mobile. sorry i'm doing a radio show back in mobile give me <laughs> all right we've got scott in orlando but y'all remember the field of dreams yeah build it and they will come win and they will come back <laughs> absolutely so, people just inherently like a winner yeah all right and so that's one reason that Alabama's has uh, in, increased over the last 10 years. And, you know, one reason that Auburn's has decreased, uh, Corey, is because uh, you've had these issues with the coaches. And then, and, then you, and then you had the issues with Coach Harson, And he turned a lot of people off. And then a lot of people initially – did not like Coach Freeze because of whatever they had heard in the media. And we all have to go through the media, you know, for what it, whatever size of the political spectrum you're on, you know, whether you're listening to CNN or an MSNBC or you're listening to Fox News, you, you get a slant either way. Sure. Okay. So uh, it's the same way with Coach Freeze. And the only thing I say about that is his family – stayed with him and and if things were really really that bad would you have his daughter coming to work at auburn to oversee some of his uh maybe internet activity con conversation yeah you know yeah. so uh if your family stays with you which that's what auburn has been considered you know is really family's big at auburn then then you know auburn should stand with you and right now i don't think there's any question if you go look that Hugh Freeze has brought a different attitude to Auburn, and he understands what it takes to compete for players. And then the way he's rebuilt the current roster to be even competitive in 2023. I mean, we had seven offensive linemen after on, on the whole roster, and none of those probably were ready to play in the SEC. And now he has – I would say one of the in the top third of the league in offensive line. So he's done a great job. And, and speaking on the offensive line that that Auburn was talking about, I, I think that you know you mentioned edge rusher being one of the big things. Keldrick Falk 
at the jack linebacker or getting at the edge, depending on how they decide to line them up, is going to be a difference maker. Brenton Williams being another true freshman. And then from an offensive line standpoint, Braden Joyner along with Steven Johnson and Connor Liu, you have offensive linemen that have been brought in to immediately address the offensive woes that Auburn occurred. Hey, and as you just men mentioned, uh, Brenton, isn't that how he says his name? The kid from Opelika? Yes. You know, that that is the kind of story uh, that we're accustomed to in the state of Alabama. There was a kid that was an athlete, 6'3", 245, you, you know, blew up his senior year. Didn't get to go to all of these camps all around the country. So on three and 247 and all of these folks that you they, they didn't know anything about him. But if you go play in that region where Opelika plays football, they knew about him. And so Auburn took a chance on him. He was a three-star. And, you know, he's going to play some this year as a true freshman. And uh, I can remember a guy. Uh, that wound up playing at Alabama and then in the NFL had no scholarship offers until the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. Wallace Gilbert. That would be the man. And after that, he winds up going to Alabama and being in All-SEC and in the NFL, et cetera. So um, even in modern day with all the technology, people get missed. Well, I, I'll tell you, Scott, when, when you start looking at – the Alabama Crimson Tide. And again, you, you have that sneak peek a week before the A-Day game was played to see how Alabama was going to perform. Was it Caleb Downs, the the the, the, really the athlete and the player that really caught your eyes, or was it Justice Haynes, the, the wonderful true freshman running back on the offensive side of the ball, to uh -huh. me, that makes the biggest difference yeah. for Crimson Tide? Yeah, you you hit on one of the areas that's big. I, that's the best group of four running backs I think I've seen Alabama have. I don't know when. I mean, they've had great running backs, you know, in spring training and all. Najee Harris, you, you name it. But to have a group of backs like that, and every one of them just seemed to be really just terrific. I, I'm, I'm impressed with the running backs. Also, Scott, if you had to find another strength, of course, all eyes were on the quarterback on Saturday. The offensive line play, I, I think that Malachi Moore was uh, able to get inside and, and, and to pressure Alabama's quarterbacks into some situations. That's why he was the overall MVP. When you start seeing a defensive back guy become the most valuable player of an A-Day game, that's never a good sign for the offensive line. Well, but, but the first-team offensive line is the one I love, was watching. And, and Mike Kendall, he watches more of them than I do while I watch the uh, quarterbacks, the receivers, the downfield stuff. But what I saw them doing was the first-team offensive line, they were all stepping like ballerinas. Everybody's making the same step at the same time. And this coach that came from Kentucky, the offensive line coach that came from Kentucky last year, I think he's got it in sync. And as we talk about on Talking Football, and Tracy's heard me, and Tracy knows it very well, the O-line is not one position. It's five positions played as one. One guy makes a mistake or doesn't do his job, the whole thing goes to crap. So I thought I saw a, a really good coordinated offensive line, the starting O-line. 
When we come back here on Talking Spring Football, we'll get the answer to the hard question. How long will it be before Alabama wins another national championship? And how long will it be before Auburn wins another national championship? Who better to ask than the two guys that are with me today on Talking Spring Football, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Welcome back to Talking Spring Football here on WNSP 105.5. Scott Hunter along with Tracy Turner joining us this evening. And the, the, the question was posed, guys. I'll ask you first, Tracy, how long will it be before Auburn can compete and win a national championship? Well, the transfer portal has sort of shortened that window some for any school. I mean, look at it. TCU got embarrassed by Georgia, but they were there. Okay? And they were there with a quarterback that started the season third string. Yeah. You know, so um, it takes some luck. It takes some luck in the whole deal, and then you got to get you get you got to get players in, and the portal helps you do that. So, and who who brings in the next Cam Newton? I mean, do you find do you find somebody like him somewhere in the transfer portal or from Blinn College or whatever? You know, so, I, I I think that could be easier so in, with the portal now. I you know I I I think that he will have enough of the players that you have to have to compete. Uh, in 25, 26, and then it becomes luck and who gets hurt and who doesn't get hurt and, you know, how is the league? And and by then we've gone to what? Uh, you had two, Texas and Oklahoma for sure. But we're also going to, is that a 12-team playoff? I know that they're going to – the expansion's definitely in the works. Something like that by that time. Yeah, 25. You know, so you're going to have to play another extra game. And, you know, so so then it's just that I think Scott has said it. It's not who's the best team, but it's who's playing the best. And that's, that's what I want to ask you as well, Scott, because Alabama fans for the last two years now have been a lot uh, – uh, getting a lot more antsier now that – King Kirby has taken over college football. You can't argue with the results. Two national championships back-to-back. How long will it take for Nick Saban to get back on the top of college football? And is it this year with an unknown or unheralded quarterback coming out of spring training? Well, you know, remember last year, Alabama lost, what, two games by three points or so? Uh, it wasn't like they were blown out by Tennessee or LSU. Uh, and one or two or three plays in that game changes everything. So you got to work toward that kind of result where you got a chance to make those plays in the fourth quarter to win the game. And I think that's why he brought in Kevin Steele and obviously Tommy Reese. Uh, I, I was at the 
A-Club luncheon or reception last Friday night in, in the end zone, north end zone. And Tommy and Kedden came because Saban was involved in recruiting. And so I spoke with Tommy a little bit. And I complimented him back when his Notre Dame team played Clemson, and he used three tight ends. I told him we used we did the same thing against the Bears, Chicago Bears, when I was at Green Bay and ran the ball well. And boy, he 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 just perked up when I said that. So Tommy knows he knows offensive football and scheming. And Kevin, I know. I mean, as as we would say, Kevin knows it completely. So and Kevin and I were talking. You know, he knows that all you got to do in the fourth quarter is make three, four, or five plays that turn the game around. It doesn't matter if the other team scores 42 or 45. If you make those plays and the offense can get in there and score 45, 47, or 48, you got it. And Kevin knows how to do that. Well, Scott, my question also is, will you be in a situation to where Alabama, with new offensive coordinator Tommy Rees, will throw to the tight end more? Because that's something that Alabama always asks and wants to know. Will there be more throwing to the tight end? Because historically, you get you a big tight end. Latu, very athletic this past season and very successful. Yep, but didn't have a lot of receptions. Uh, and that's something that I think that I think it can happen. And you saw happen in the spring game. Alabama did utilize and throw to the tight ends more. And will that be a situation that we'll see a lot of this year? Well, I, you know what this offensive coordinator wants to do. And Tommy and I talk about that. Uh, when I was at Green Bay, boy, Bob Snelker, the, then the passing game offensive coordinator, really, really had you working on throwing the tight ends. I think Tommy is out of that same ilk. He wants that tight end to get throws because, you know, a 6'4", 240-pound tight end catching the ball and hitting a 185, 90-pound strong safety, uh, that kind of works on him when the fourth quarter comes around. Mm-hmm. I think that that's critical in, in Smash Mouth football, a transition. When when Auburn opens this thing up, Tracy, you know, we, we weren't able to see a lot of what they were going to present because of the weather on that day. And again, coaches keep it close to the vest with, and very vanilla and what they do and what they do show. But will Auburn – be throwing it around a lot more, not knowing who their quarterback's going to be and being constricted from a time standpoint, or will they be running the football a lot more? Because there is no Tank Bigsby in the backfield, and to me, Tank was underutilized. Well, I mean, obviously, when you have your coach say that one of the running backs is the best he's ever coached, then he feels pretty confident about his running game. Uh, and But I don't think it matters how good your running game is when you play the elite level talent. Um, when you play, I mean, look, let's realize A&M's played eight freshmen on their two deep defensive last year, and a lot of those guys were big stars. So they're going to have a lot of defensive in the box guys that are elite talent. LSU is good. We know now Georgia did lose a lot again. And I don't know if they're going to replace him again because I think I just saw one of one of their best backups, a kid nicknamed Bear, 
I mean, as big as Carter that's going to go in the draft, assuming that he Jay gets his mm-hmm. gets his other issues all resolved, transferred to USC. You know, so um, in order in order to run the ball against those folks, you got to throw it a little bit. So they're not coming off the line expecting you to run it. They're having to think about pass and those kinds of things. Um, so what what does all that say? I, I I think Auburn will have to throw the ball around a little bit, and, and the only way that will work is for a quarterback that's accurate. And that's going to be critical. I mean, any quarterback that you have, whether it's with Alabama or Auburn, accuracy, you can have elite NFL type of wide receivers or slot players. If you're not accurate with the football, it's not going to matter. Or if you're not valuing the football and you're throwing interceptions instead of completions, I think that becomes a problem because when you start looking at the A-Day game and the interceptions that were thrown, yeah, maybe a couple of them, Scott, were Hail Mary-type throws and a couple of them were great reads by the defensive backs. And that's something that I think when you look at hurting your team, no, you can never put a loss on one person. But valuing the football is critical for any team, including Nick Saban or Hugh Freeze. That's why you have a spring training. I mean, I threw interceptions in spring training when I was trying to experiment with how do I get the ball in there on this route or that route and so forth. But then again, that wasn't Auburn or or Tennessee intercepting the pass. That was my own defense. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you would do in a spring training scenario that you wouldn't do during the fall so uh give them you know give the quarterbacks a little bit for that so i think the the fans and the media tend to be a little bit too critical regarding that uh because spring training is all for that kind of stuff well scott when you start looking at ty simpson on his throwing hand on his right thumb He's having surgery. He had a UCL sprain and will require surgery that's going to keep him out three to four weeks. And, of course, Alabama not having any more live practices. But what does that mean to a quarterback on your throwing hand not having the ability to use that thumb? And what does it say about Ty Simpson sucking it up after the first possession and how it may have affected him the rest of the A-Day game? You know, I, and I've had that happen. I, I hit a hand on, a, uh, I think, a bear, Chicago bear helmet. I hit a hand on it, and, you know, my hand was just numb. But you get out there and you keep throwing in a game. But then again, you know, after spring training, you get it fixed. And I think he, I think I heard he'd be in a, some kind of like a rubber or plastic cast for three weeks. No surgery involved. So, you know, he'll he'll recover. But all of us that ever played quarterback at the college and NFL level, you know, we got a hurt throwing hand. That's just part of the game. When we come back, we'll put the finishing touches on talking spring football. And, again, less than 100 days away from college football, kicking off, looking forward to that for sure. But – Putting the finishing touches on talking spring football on the other side of this break here on WNSP. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. 
Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking Spring Football wrapping up here on WNSP 105.5. Tracy Turner, Scott Hunter joining us this entire spring now that Alabama and Auburn both have had an opportunity to complete their 8A games. Of course, it was a tale of two weather days. Auburn fans would have loved to have had the type of weather that was in Tuscaloosa. You can't control that. But it, it, it is a difference maker when you have a bright and sunshiny day and 58,000 out there versus 16,000 with gray skies and rain in regards to recruiting. Because what you have an opportunity to see is Nick Saban said he's going to go into the portal if he needs to, to find the best available. And Tyler Butcher, whether he decides to sign on the dotted line and commit to Alabama or not, Alabama, all the focus, Scott, going here is going to be, all eyes are going to be, can Alabama win the national championship with the quarterbacks that are on campus right now? And I think that that question won't be answered until September, Scott. Oh, I don't think you can answer that. And as you said earlier, I think uh, he'll probably play two quarterbacks, uh, Ty and Jalen Milrow, in the the Middle Tennessee State game. And then come the Texas game, uh, he still may not be settled on one particular quarterback. But, however, I believe that yeah, it's gonna that one quarterback that's gonna materialize and win the job will likely win it in the Texas game because I know that uh, Quinn Ewers comes in and Steve Sarkeesian, those guys, you know, they know how to put points on the board. So the quarterback for Alabama is gonna have to respond accordingly, and he's gonna have to put thirty-five or forty on the board uh, to beat a Texas team. That's what I think. Well, Scott, let me ask you this. Coming into the spring season, when we started talking spring football, Alabama had 15 practices. What was your biggest question outside of the quarterback battle? The O-line was something I want to really pay attention to, and I am very pleased with the development of the O-line. I think that uh, second-year coach that was the O-line coach at Kentucky that Coach Saban brought down has done a uh, really fine job with the O-line. And I I think it played all – you saw Alabama's running game, even though it was tough to run against Alabama's defense, they're pretty good. Uh, I think they did a good job of making cracks and getting running backs a little bit of of what's called – run to daylight and we give them a little daylight to get to. So I, I'm impressed with the, uh, with the development of the offensive line. Well, I'll ask you the same question, Tracy. Coming into Auburn's 15 days, brand new coach, brand new facility that they were practicing in, what was your biggest concern going into Auburn's spring training? And was it addressed? Well, clearly the biggest concern is quarterback, and no, that's not addressed. 
But the second biggest concern was the offensive line, and I feel really good that, that we're going to have a, a quality, competitive offensive line for this year uh, that goes along with the running backs because we've got a good change of pace between Jarquez and Austin and then the, the, the Bate, Bate, I think that's how he says his name, Bate, Bate, that transferred in from South Florida, very shifty, very fast. You know, can hit a home run at any time. Ran for over a thousand yards at South Florida on a team that was two and ten or something. So, um, so the the third most concerning spot was that rush in that rush linebacker, whatever you want to call it, Jack, whatever. And you know, that's still a little in the air. But I do think that uh, with the the way the the kid from there in the valley. Keldrick Falk stepped up that uh, you, you probably have maybe three guys for that spot now because they say, as as Scott said, they're going to play ten guys on the defensive line, not counting the jacks, the rush-in spot. So uh, it, they don't want guys to not be able to go full speed, have their tongues hanging out. If that means they're going to substitute over three plays, they will. So – you know, two of the three spots are better. One, the offensive line is much better. But quarterback, we still don't know. We don't have any idea. We know we can't win with a quarterback that completed 49% of his passes. That we know. Scott, one of the quick questions Michael Bronner and I had was, was the Beanie Weenies and the Steak and Potatoes part of the tradition when you played at Alabama as well, or is that something that started after Coach Bryant left? Oh, let's repeat that again. You broke up a little bit. We we were talking about the winners having the steak and potatoes versus the beanie weenies for the crimson and white <laughs> A-Day winners. Did you have that when you were there? Oh, absolutely. The, the losers had to serve, uh, serve steaks to the winning team. And what I did at my first time at spring training, I quickly figured out I'll give the other quarterback. And you know, then we, we had like a draft. And the captain of the defense and offense and the captain of the other offense and defense were draft players. Well, I immediately drafted the first offensive line. And the other quarterback on the other side, he drafted receivers and running backs. But while he's getting clobbered by the defensive <laughs> pass rush, I'm back there throwing and <laughs> completing. Mm. I love it. I love it, Scott. That That's great stuff right there. And it's been an outstanding talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. I guess we'll be back in August. I tell you what, we'll be ready to go in August. Less than 120 days. The countdown is on. And the speculation and the talking heads that are Michael Bronner and myself will have a lot of speculation from an Alabama and Auburn standpoint moving forward. Scott Hunter, I appreciate you. Tracy Turner. Hey, it's been a great spring having you on board, Corey, and we look forward to the fall. Absolutely. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow. Again, looking forward to final drive on Hump Day Wednesday.